Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, this is Benjamin Boyce, and welcome to my YouTube channel, or if you're not looking me directly in the virtual eyes right now, welcome to my podcast, The Voice of Reason. Today's guest, as a part of my ongoing series on gender, sexuality, and transition, is Ray Blanchard, who is one of the world's leading researchers or experts on paraphilias and transsexuals. This past weekend, Ray's Twitter account was suspended because one of his tweets was deemed by algorithm or activist to be harassment. Since then, a bunch of attention was drawn to that weird glitch in the matrix and raised Twitter following when he was suspended doubled. And then his suspension was lifted for whatever reason. In this discussion, we speak about the contents of his tweet, which draws upon his life of research in gender and sexuality. We also speak about the need for all of us as a society to reaffirm our commitment to freedom of speech, especially where scientific and expert opinion is concerned. So, Here's another wonderful conversation with Ray Blanchard. You got briefly banned on Twitter uh, for, uh, I guess, one specific comment that you made. Um, and then I wanted to speak to you just about the content of that Twitter thread um, to see if there's anything that you would like to clarify or that you think that people don't really understand or are conflating as harassment when you are not meaning this as harassment. No. In fact, I'm not even sure a reasonable person could see it as harassment, but maybe a bot could. And mm. yes, I'm, I'm happy to clarify uh, that particular uh, tweet that caused the problems and also the other tweets in the thread, which were on a related theme. Yeah. Um, so you want me to just read the first one and, and then we unpack it together? Or do you want to... Yeah, let's just go down the line. Dive in? Okay. So the first one... Uh, you, the first tweet was, my beliefs include the following six elements. One, transsexualism and milder forms of gender dysphoria are types of mental disorder, which may leave the individual with average or even above average functioning in unrelated areas of life. So I think that why that was flagged was because the phrase mental disorder is being misinterpreted as harassment. That would be my guess. That was the only one of the, the tweets that got flagged, and it probably was the phrase mental disorder. Either was twagged, either was flagged by a bot or else um, or else uh, one or more people complained. I have no, I, no way of telling that from what I saw at my end. But yes, and I think that people misunderstand the phrase mental disorder. To them, this is automatically a, stigmat a very stigmatizing phrase. And and they think that mental disorder equates to barking mad, or they think it means uh, command hallucinations or visual hallucinations or, um, hmm. uh, or intellectual impairment, cognitive impairment, false beliefs. A mental disorder can be something that's relatively circumscribed in its effects. 
And I that's hmm. and that's what I think is the case with transsexualism. There are transsexuals who have uh, made brilliant intellectual achievements, really, um, despite the fact that they were fully transsexual. Mm-hmm. But I still think that transsexualism per se is a mental disorder. It causes distress to the individual. Yeah. And being able to live with it often requires medical interventions. And by classifying it as a mental disorder, that opens up different avenues of care, correct? Like such as insurance. Uh, you can get some of your therapy or medical transition covered by insurance if it's typified or classified as a mental disorder. Is that correct? That's correct. And that would be pretty much in any jurisdiction I could think of. Uh, if there's going to be third-party payment for, and whether we're talking public or private insurance, uh, insurance companies don't pay for purely elective cosmetic procedures. There has to be a diagnosable disorder to trigger payment by an insurance company. And were you involved in the uh, DSM-5? Is that correct? I was on the DSM-5, although the DSM-5 work group for sexual and gender identity disorders was subdivided into three sub-work groups, as they were called. I was the chair of the paraphilias sub-work group. Okay. I didn't sit on the gender identity disorders sub-work group. Okay. Um, but... What is the function of the DSM-5 insofar as it is a collection of a catalog of disorders? Well, it's used for billing codes for insurance. That's probably one of its um, one of its primary uses is billing codes. It was also for many years more or less obligatory for epidemiological studies of anything. If you wanted to apply for a grant to look at schizophrenia in new immigrants or something like that, it used to be for a long time that granting agencies required a DSM diagnosis. This is no longer as true as it used to be. Hmm. Uh, The DSM is also often invoked in civil commitment trials. Um, not everybody is that uh, is, is fully aware of some aspects of American law, but in I guess the majority of American states, uh, a sex offender can completely serve his sentence and then be rearrested uh, and go through a civil commitment trial and be uh, can be incarcerated on the grounds of potential dangerousness oh, okay. uh, until he's deemed cured. And these trials often use DSM diagnoses for determining uh, whether all uh, one of the legs of the civil commitment legislation has been satisfied. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. One of the things that was brought up when I shared your deleted tweet or the fact that you had been uh, canceled by Twitter uh, was some commenter came onto my thread and said, What's the difference between or along? They said something along the lines of homosexuality used to be classified as a gender disorder or a, a mental disorder. Mental. Is, isn't this just the natural progression where we don't consider gender dysphoria as a mental disorder? Could you what do you think about that? Uh, that equivalence? I think that a lot of spurious analogies have been made between gender identity disorders and homosexuality, uh, mostly made by activists uh, who very naturally were anxious to piggyback uh, social gains of transsexuals onto successful social gains by gay and lesbian people. Um, And the media have, to a large extent, played along with this. 
nobody is ever gay anymore, even though they have only and ever, <laughs> you know, done one thing to put them in that in that uh, initialism, and that's have sex with uh, with other men. Uh, but the media has been only, but so you you never can refer to a gay person just as a gay person. They're an LGBT person. Oh, okay. um, yeah. You know, uh, and I. Hmm. But I think that the the in reality the differences are enormous. All that was required in civil rights for gays and lesbians was for them, uh, you know, not to be. It was basically don't prohibit us from getting married. Don't prohibit. Uh, don't make it difficult for people to get and maintain employment. Uh, but there was no requirement that people agree and testify to something that they didn't believe. Whereas um, the civil rights movement for transsexuals has tended to make this final requirement that not only must you extend us all the civil rights everybody else has, but you are on shaky legal grounds if you don't actually believe, hmm. um, if you don't share our view of ourselves. Well, Gay people which, never demand that, that other people share their views of themselves. Okay. Yeah. It's the, I guess it would be the difference between the statement trans women are women and gay men are men, right? Um, there's a fundamental categorical uh, kind of shift in defining trans women as women. That isn't apparent when you just say gay, a gay male is still just as much a male as anybody else, right? There's, is that what you're kind of saying? Like that, that the, the trans activists want us to go along with a gender theory as well as extending them, you know, the, the proper rights and protections. Yes, I would, I would say, I would agree with your formulation of it. It requires yeah. a more active endorsement by, by the listener or by the third party, hmm. right? Yeah. And I wonder if this might be speculative, but, well, of course it is speculative. I wonder if the offense taken to classifying gender dysphoria as a mental disorder uh, kind of classifies the gender theory as some sort of outgrowth of a mental disorder, or it, it invalidates somehow the theory by saying that that it's crazy, the whole thing is crazy. But there's a fine difference between transsexuals and the transgender uh, community or push. Uh, I have to unpack that a little. Transgender is initially was used as an umbrella term that would include transsexuals as well as people with lesser degrees of gender dysphoria. Okay. That was the initial use. Since that time, the word transsexual has become a bad word, the way that words arbitrarily, you know, become bad words or not bad words. And, you know, uh, but uh, so so I, 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 ha I had to make that point. Um, I think that the activists are between a rock and a hard place with regard to the mental disorder business, because on the one hand, without mm -hmm. classifying gender dysphoria as a disorder, as we've already discussed, you don't get third party payment for for hormones or surgery. On the other hand, um, it's offensive to their self-concept and self-esteem. Mm -hmm. And so how do you how do you see us going forward or, or moving past this being offended at science. Like one of the things that really offended me about your tweet being taken down was that you have more knowledge, personal 
uh, first-person experience of these issues than 99% of the people involved in the conversation, and not to mention the people in charge of Twitter. Um, so somebody with your breadth of expertise and the amount of... Um, work that you've done in this area is now being marginalized because you are offensive. Um, so it, it seems like an assault on science itself in, in a way, or, or potentially we could go down this direction of if the science hurts your feelings, we need to suppress the science. So I just wonder if we could recenter what is it about your experience that makes it not harassment and makes it something that's actually useful for this community, uh, useful for transsexuals. Well, you know, in the days when I was concentrating my work on gender identity disorders, which is sometimes past now, I published something like six uh, either articles in re in refereed journals or book chapters, uh, giving empirical support for the uh, f for the, th the uh, therapeutic benefits of sex reassignment surgery and hormones. I even published an article arguing that in in countries such as Canada that have universal health care that uh, sex reassignment surgery should be a benefit of the provincial health insurance plans. I don't know what more uh hmm. well i don't know how many average activists have a track record publication track <laughs> record like that of having yeah. supported the enterprise of letting people uh live as the sex they wish they had been mm -hmm. uh, all of that routinely gets ignored because yeah. i committed the capital sin of not endorsing the trans women are women dogma and of having made distinctions between different types of transsexuals, yeah. which also was not popular. Yeah. Your sixth tweet uh, does say something that I could conceive as being offensive, and I'm just going to read it real quick. Uh, number six, the sex of a post-operative transsexual should be analogous to a legal fiction. This legal fiction would apply to some things, sex designation on a driver's license, but not to others, entering a sports competition as one's adopted sex. So there's that line. I mean, we can disregard the, the use of the word fiction. We're, we don't mean to invalidate the existence of people like this, but there's still a distinction that needs to be made between a woman and a trans woman. Yeah, and I mean, it's a very well-established term in law, legal fiction. I'm, I was trying to explain, look, there's a legal framework mm. whereby uh, male-to-female transsexuals or female-to-male uh, can be given some of the rights and privileges of a class and not given other rights and privileges of a class. And I and I kind of want to point out, you know, just to talk a little bit about this phrase legal fiction, people normally give as an example of a legal fiction the notion of a corporation as a person. So that, for example, a corporation can be sued as a person can be sued. Yeah. But no one thinks that a corporation is a person in all aspects. You can't sue a corporation for jaywalking or Give, yeah. a, give a corporation a ticket for jaywalking. Now, yeah. the, uh, the example of, of a corporation as a person might seem far-fetched, but another legal fiction that's so common and has been common since Roman times that we don't even see it is legal adoption. When a couple legally adopt a child, the notion that that is your child is also a legal fiction. Mm -hmm. that, that is not your child. 
that person has now the rights and privileges, uh, most of them, I guess, as uh, that a um, legal child does. But that's also a uh, a very long-standing legal fiction. So I don't think there's. I mean, unless you're just so touchy and so yeah, humble yeah, on yeah. every word, I don't think that the word fiction in the yeah. term legal fiction would bother a reasonable, well-adjusted person. Yeah. So why do you think that the uh, or or how would you con- conceive of us navigating that that distinction between a trans woman entering female sports like how would we make the determination of whether or not this person is female in what categories i would say for in order to say it's okay for somebody to change sex if it makes them happier then there are certain legal things that you have to allow to be changed you have to allow a person to change the sex designation on their driver's license for example otherwise it would be horribly embarrassing if a Mm -hmm. person who appeared to be female in all regards was stopped for some innocuous reason by a policeman and had to show a driver's license with the sex designation being male that would be unnecessarily cruel and there's there's no profit Mm -hmm. There's no reason for it. So that would be one of the aspects in which the legal fiction would hold, that you this this person is a female for purposes of de- sex designation on the designation. driver's Designation, yeah, okay. When you now get into competitive sports, it's a whole different ballgame. The issues, the, um, uh, the considerations are just completely different. Uh, personally, I would just say uh, an individual born male cannot compete as a woman in competitive sports and conversely an individual born female cannot compete as a male in Mm. competitive sports and just leave it at that life Mm. doesn't arrange itself around everybody's all of our (laughs) desires you know (laughs) regular people don't have perfect lives you know what is the goal here hmm yeah um what is the goal here then with that 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 carrying on of that as a woman into every aspect of life. You know, it's hard to really draw a line between what is a logical consequence of saying, I am now a woman and therefore I'm going to compete in the woman's hundred meter dash versus an element of exhibitionism and need for validation. You know, naturally, most media don't get into the more psychological, murky aspects of these things. But I think an established clinician would understand that some things get very blurry and you don't always know exactly what is what. But in this Hmm. case, but in this case, there's no need to know what's what. You can just make a determination. Hmm. Look, women's sports are for biological women. You know, Mm -hmm. and so in the aftermath of getting banned, it seems like your your Twitter uh, account itself just kind of expanded, and y- it had the opposite effect of, like your your speech was suppressed, but that brought a whole bunch of attention onto you. Have you experienced that? Did you see that? And what, what were your thoughts about that? Uh, my number of followers has doubled. Yeah. Since since uh, the day that I my account was locked, doubled. Yeah. I have no idea how this happened. Absolutely none. I picked up hundreds of followers while I was locked out of my account. 
<laughs> I have no concept how these things work or or uh, the mechanism by which suddenly well, I know that people did tweet about my having been locked out and um, and people a few people blogged about it and it was beginning to leach its way into more mainstream kind of media outlets. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have thought a company as big as Twitter could care less, but hmm. I, I don't know. I don't know how it happened. Yeah. Well, I, I guess there's a, a question of your influence on the conversation. And I had you on before and you gave some very inf- inf- some very valuable information uh, and included it in my series on transsexualism and gender and sexuality. Are you really aware of that? Do you do you accept the mantle of like being this expert that's kind of I, I guess you you deserve it because you did all the work. But it's kind of when you, we talk about it, you say it was so long ago. It's kind of after the fact. Well, when I didn't, I didn't start on Twitter with the intention of becoming, you know, of assuming a kind of educational role. Gradually, it began to dawn on me that there are a lot of people out there who really want information, but they don't know where to start because it's hard to get access to scholarly journals unless you're belong to a university or a hospital or one of those few institutions that's going to subscribe to uh, journals. Journal subscriptions are expensive. So, and most stuff is still behind paywalls. It's mm-hmm. a still a minority of articles that are that mm-hmm. are open access. So I began to realize, you know, there really are people out there that are hungry for kinds of information that are relatively easy for me to yeah. either pre-digest for them and put in summary statement, or at least give them uh, a reference so that if they really, really want to pursue something, they can bite the bullet, pay 35 okay. bucks and download an article. Yeah. Do you, do you know of a place where people can go that with that has uh, that is a resource kind of like you're describing you're becoming? Is there a place out there yet for people to go on the Internet to learn more about this stuff and that you would trust as a as a good medium? Is that there yet? Is there a need well, there's for that? that? Not Russian, Kazakhstan or whatever that, you know, I'm not going to say the name of it because that would be wrong. But <laughs> I mean, there is there is that huge site or multiple sites run by, I think it was a Kazakhstani woman or somebody from that part of the world where hmm. she's basically gotten pirated copies of every article written. Oh, okay, and if yeah. you know the link, you know, you can pretty much get anything. Okay, um, yeah. Uh, but like, is there other another person like me who's on Twitter, or or even are there is there a book or a series of books that you were you're able to recommend as a place for people to start on this journey, or is this a need? You know, I have to say the answer about books, sadly, is pretty much a no. Hmm. I mean, Anne Lawrence wrote a fantastic book about autogynophilia, but she yeah. doesn't go into uh, the homosexual type, transsexual. Uh, either the biological males or the biological females. She just explicitly states at the beginning she's not going to go into that. Mike Bailey's book would be better. Um, The Man Who Would Be Queen. Yeah. Um, But but there aren't really – it goes beyond – it goes beyond hmm. uh, gender identity disorders. I can't think of one book that I know of that I would say, here's one book you, you can go to if you want to know all the latest research and theory on gender identity disorders, paraphilias, and sexual orientation. 
There aren't books out there uh, for the intelligent layperson or even like advanced huh. undergraduate texts. Interesting. No. How many how many figures uh, would it take in a book deal to get you to write this book? Like ballpark. there aren't enough zeros. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I think some hungry publisher might overhear our conversation and come for you. You brought up. Um, on, on point four, you said gender dysphoria is not a sexual orientation, but it is virtually always preceded or accompanied by an atypical sexual orientation. Why did you feel the need to point out that it's not a sexual orientation? Do people get that confused? No, I don't think people get that confused. What they do do is say gender identity disorder has nothing to do with sexual orientation. Okay. That is a lie. Okay. You know, gender identity disorders very much have to do with people's erotic preferences. It's hmm. just not as straightforward as as you might like. But yeah. that's why I made the point of insisting. No, gender identity disorders are not paraphilias. That is not the same thing as saying gender identity disorders have nothing to do okay. with sexual okay. orientation or paraphilias. Okay. That's a very uh, rich kind of distinction that I've tried to investigate here and there, but it seems like a very big topic. Like, what is the relationship between one's gender expression and one's erotic, uh, I guess, erotic being? Have you thought about that? Uh, is there... Well, just sure. A... I've, I've thought about it and I've written about it and so have a hell of a lot of other people. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, this is, again, we're talking about stuff that's behind paywalls. Oh, yeah articles perhaps that were already taken for granted before the internet and so my god you'd have to go to a physical library and pick up these <laughs> heavy assemblages of paper you know yeah. it, it's oh. out of the question yeah. uh but people have known forever that there are different classes of transsexuals that these different types can be quite dissimilar to each other when you meet them in person Mm -hmm. People have known for a long time that the childhood behavior of transsexuals uh, is not that different from the childhood behavior of many gay men and lesbian women who, who have a perfectly normal gender identity in adulthood. And mm -hmm. people have known for decades and decades that what that uh, some kinds, some guys who start out with fetishistic cross-dressing, you know, masturbating into a pair of panties and then, you know, I'm done with that. Uh, for the time being, uh, mm -hmm. sometimes progress to the point where they have a full-time desire to be as the opposite, to live as the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. This stuff has been known for, you know, 50, 60, 70 years. Yeah. So sometimes one's gender, gender expression, is that just a, a kind of a natural outflowing of the personality or is it somehow related to the kind of attention that I want to attract? If I, if I act this way, then I will attract the attention of the people that I see being attracted to that behavior. I honestly think for that, that um, attracting partners is not a primary motivation in either type of either of the main types of transsexualism. I think if you look at the uh, childhood behavior of the homosexual type transsexuals, they start very early imitating the opposite sex in a systematic way, which mm -hmm. kind of suggests at some level, some pre-verbal level, 
they have they have come to the conclusion I am one of that kind of person hmm. and I'm going to imitate what those kinds of people do. Interesting. And okay. these are the kids who end up by being extremely tomboyish girls or extreme sissy boys. And some of them at puberty uh, kind of normalize in gender identity and end up as lesbians and gays. And some of them don't normalize in gender hmm. identity. And they can ch continue on this trajectory of uh, becoming transsexuals. But the early signs of what's going to happen long precede interest in other people as sexual or romantic partners. Mm-hmm. And I would make the same argument in parallel about the autogynophilic transsexuals. They're quite often masturbating into panties or bras or having other kinds of um, symbolic cross-gender behaviors that are associated mm -hmm. with erotic excitement long before they even know what a lesbian is, let alone okay. fancy that they might aspire to become one. Okay, yeah. The... Uh... I got in trouble for saying this before, and I don't mean it literally, but just as the phrase, uh, I'm a lesbian trapped in a man's body kind of kind of uh, rubric or framework of being attracted to oneself, being a woman kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, they they it's a it's, it's from there from an autogynophile's standpoint is the perfect solution. I really want to be a woman. I'm not going to be happy unless I am. And I'm attracted to women. Well, how do you resolve that? Aha, uh -huh, I'll be a lesbian. Yeah. That like gets at both sides of it. I can be a woman and I can have women. Mm -hmm. The only fly in that ointment is finding cooperative lesbians. Yeah, yeah. Um, number two, point number two explicitly states that you are for sex change surgery. It's the best treatment for carefully screened adult patients whose gender dysphoria is proven resistant to other forms of treatment. You also state that in point three, that you think 21 years of age should be the, the marker for if you proceed onto hormones and go along with the surgical transition, right? You're pretty firm yes. that one needs to be mature. I think 21 years of age is reasonable. Obviously, there is no external or there's no 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 platonic guideline as okay. the perfect yeah. guideline, and we only yeah. have to figure okay. out what that is. Whatever guideline you set, there's going to be some false positives and some false negatives. Mm -hmm. I think if you're a clinician operating in the real world, you just have to accept no age guideline is going to be perfect. Mm -hmm. However, the two kinds of errors are not symmetrical. If I say to you, uh, I don't think you're ready for sex reassignment because you're not yet 21. Let's say you really were ready for sex reassignment and you had to wait an additional two or three years. Well, you had to wait an additional two or three years. That can be corrected down the line. Mm -hmm. If, in fact, you weren't appropriate for sex reassignment and we remove your penis and testes and replace okay. them with a neo-vagina, that cannot be corrected. Mm -hmm. So... The consequences of false positives and false negatives are not equal. One hmm. kind of error is drastically more serious than the other. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I, I guess that that's that's uh, one of the tug of wars going on right now with this, and and the the argument for pre I, I guess teenage transition or even pre teen pre teen transition is that I will then have to get all this stuff corrected that puberty has beset me with. Whereas that stuff's easier to correct than if one is transitioned 
uh, and and gets their breasts removed or, or their penis removed. That's impossible to to recorrect that. Right. Is right. that do you, do you see do you foresee advancements in science where people can just return and just bounce back and forth in genders? Do you think that that will ever be possible? Like you can get your penis frozen and then reattached? Is that something that you think? <laughs> well, I've heard patients who wanted their sperm frozen because they mm -hmm. thought they might want to reproduce as males yeah. later. Yeah. I've never had anybody asked to have their penis frozen and you've probably just created something that some clinician will hear as a request within the next few years. <laughs> well, you never know. I mean, it's a, it's a form of insurance policy. Um, so I, I foresee you getting a lot of speaking gigs now. Uh, I mean, you're going to keep on being asked to be, to weigh in on these topics. And I just, I wonder if you're ready for that. If, if you have everything it takes, uh, I know you have everything it takes, but going forward, do you think you're going to be attending conferences and, or just be a humble little Twitter tweeter? I never aspired to be a public intellectual. That was never something, you know, I mean, I, I admire public intellectuals. I think it takes a really special skill set. I think it takes a really special skill set to be the kind of scientist who communicates regularly uh, with the general public and uh, writes trade books that communicate scientific okay. ideas to the general public. I don't think that's me. I think that, you know, I'm, I'm pretty content that if I get up in the morning, have a coffee, take a look at my notifications and say, oh, here's somebody with a reasonable question that I can answer without spending all day um, you know, searching through the internet for the exact right study yeah. that I could okay. give as a reference. I, I'm okay. contented to keep at that level. Yeah. Okay. Do you, are you worried about uh, the path that this discussion is headed with the censorious nature of some aspects of the people in this conversation? Do you think we'll pull through or do you think that we need to pay special attention to uh, people who are shutting down speech? Like what might have happened to you if it wasn't just an algorithm? Well, I, I like a, plenty of other people are kind of appalled at the direction that the Western world originating within the US is taking with regard to uh, the downpedaling of free speech as an absolute value guaranteed by the Constitution. I think it's horrible that a younger generation of people um, is getting very casual about the meaning of the First Amendment and justify and taking this the end justifies the means attitude towards allowing people to speak and have their say and just trying to shut hmm. people down from uh, from having their say instead of arguing with them or just saying well let them persuade whom they may mm -hmm. uh, so you know but I'm not I'm not unique in that lots and lots of people are alarmed very few people <laughs> have a decision that says, we can implement this right away and stop this toxic pathological trend in our society. I think a lot of people are at a loss, uh, are mm. appalled and horrified, but at a loss how to stop this. Okay. Are you saying that you don't know how to stop it either? Do you have any ideas on it from a clinician's standpoint? I don't know that it's a clinical problem. I think we move here more into a a political problem, a sociological problem. You know, the U.S. has always been prone to um, 
fads, you know, like prohibition, uh, uh, there are various religious movements of the 19th century. The U.S. is a very fertile ground for um, madness. <laughs> or yeah, for, for, for odd stuff. You know, yeah. back in huh. the when was it, 70s and 80s, the ritual satanic child abuse was a thing. Uh, recovered memories were a thing. Uh, mm. These were these were events in in which innocent people had their lives destroyed and and were imprisoned. Uh, hmm. So there is there is something. Um, maybe hmm. it's common to all of the Western world, or maybe it's a peculiarity of the U.S. I don't know what it is, because we have the same thing in Canada. Uh, you know, uh, hmm. the uh, basically abridgment of of free speech rights when it comes to certain groups. And hmm. I don't know how to correct it. I don't know how far it'll go. I just sit here in astonishment, thinking, hmm. "Oh my God." How did we get, you know, I was a hippie, right? It was all about freedom. And now (laughs) kids at the same age are all about repression, basically. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Well, um, well, that's all I had for you today. Thanks a lot for joining me. Did you have anything else that you wanted to, any insights that this last few days have occurred to you about um, that, that were sparked by this little miniature event? I don't think so. I think it just encapsulates a lot of what's gone wrong in in general in discussions about gender identity disorders. Uh, The fact that somebody like me who has been consistently in favor, uh, not only of of sex reassignment, you know, I'm in favor of things like once somebody has had reassignment surgery, let them use the washroom of their choice. I believe if somebody is standing in front of me as a dress, uh, I'm going to call him Miss Smith, even if he hasn't shaved in two days. You know, Mm. I'm not crazy about these little details. You know, if Mm. somebody like me can be painted as this transphobe, you know, uh, there's just no reason, no Mm. sense of proportion. Something Mm. nuts has happened. Hmm. Hmm. Um, I... Damn it. I keep on wanting to end on a positive note, Ray, but you keep on bringing it down into the <laughs> dire regions. <laughs> well, okay, on a positive note, I know and continue to know some very reasonable, likable, intelligent trans people. Yeah. And sometimes when somebody who, some trans activist who's really malicious, does their thing, I just sit back, take a deep breath, and consciously think Mm. of the nice, good, intelligent, empathic trans people I have known, Mm. and how unfair it would be if these people came to be disliked because of the behavior of people whom they can't control and for Mm. whom they have no responsibility. Yeah, and who who seem to be electing themselves as representative for representatives for all trans people yes it's probably a common with all activist groups there probably are people in many marginalized communities who just hold their breath when some self-appointed spokesperson wanders up to the podium uh, and is about to get crazy but it's just (laughs) the nature of activism right activists are not elected yeah yeah well yeah unless they elect themselves and and start to uh, push around what we can and cannot say well, 
thanks again, Ray. Uh, sorry, Dr. Blanchard, um, for your time. Um, I think that you are doing God's work, I guess is the phrase, but um, I guess we can just say, uh, I don't know if there's an enlightenment God that we can thank for <laughs> your influence on the conversation. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, it was fun being Anyways. back again. Yeah, absolutely. You have a good day. Okay, same to you. All right. Bye. Ciao.